More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Buck Sexton Show episode. Special one because we have with us John Cardillo, formerly of the NYPD, conservative commentator, man about town, and if you read the Daily Beast, unlicensed international arms dealer, which is still the coolest thing that any of my friends have been called in print up to this point. Uh, John, uh, I just want to say it's it's an honor and not just because apparently you're going to be playing the Nicolas Cage role in Lord of War 2. Yeah, I thought it was I, I wish it was true. It's such a cool description. Unfortunately, it's just it, it not, you know, it's bogus. I'm not as cool as that. I wish I was. Yeah, you just got you sometimes you just got to lean into this role to be like, yeah, oh, apparently, yeah, I mean, you know, if, uh, can, can I can I get you uh, a whole box of T90 tanks? Maybe, yeah. you know, yeah. can neither confirm nor deny. You know how we, you know how we do it, John. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't say I can't. <laughs> I, I don't know. So I want to start with this one. Yeah. Um, you're a guy. You voted for Trump twice. You yeah. were, if anything, somebody who, uh, in in your in your very John Cardillo way, were were on Twitter throwing punches in favor of Trump with all of your might for all four years of his presidency. Just in case, it, and John's Twitter is spicy, not necessarily uh, not necessarily for the. For the workplace, but his his family, Twitter family friendly, not, not necessarily family friendly, family friendly Twitter, but but he 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 calls it like he sees it. Um, Trump has had a, a rough few months. He's running. He's had a tough few months, I think, in the messaging. As I speak to you, he's just done this trip out to East Palestine. Yeah is is he getting more on track? What what is your assessment as a as a true blue Trump supporter of the past and somebody who wants the best for Trump and the GOP now, how's he doing? Well, look, you know, Buck, I was a vehement, I'll, I'll use the word vehement, a vehement Trump supporter. I mean, like you say, you know, uh, trading punches, it happened to you, happened to many of us. We lost friends over this. We lost uh, business associates in the media who are a bit more moderate, maybe moving center left, even center right people at the time where a lot of them were never Trumpers, right? If you remember that, they had their conservative purity tests. And we lost relationships, some permanently, some for many years. And unfortunately, those were healed. But what wound up, uh, and I don't want to say turning me off to returning me against Trump, because I think he did incredible things for the United States. Look, let me say the, the good first. I think Donald Trump is one of the most patriotic people ever to hold the office. I think he truly loves America. He gained great success in America. And the trip uh, to East Palestine was, I thought, exceptional. I thought it's exactly what those people needed. I mean, could you imagine your water supply having iridescent, what look like oil slicks on top of it? You don't know if your children are come down, going to come down with terminal diseases and the sitting president of the United States, the, the incapacitated vegetable in chief is over there in Ukraine, worried more about Ukraine than your kids in Ohio. So Trump's trip, I thought, was a win. It was incredibly heartfelt. 
he, uh, you know, few people that have ever sat in the Oval Office have emotionally connected with the American people like Donald Trump. I mean, I'll get flamed by the right for saying this, but I think to his base, Barack Obama did, uh, Ronald Reagan did in many respects, but Trump really had an emotional connection. That's all the good. I don't want to see him as president again. I don't want to see him as the nominee because I don't think he can win. I don't believe mathematically he has a path to 270. I travel the country quite a bit. I think he's lost independence, non-party affiliated, uh, suburban women. Uh, I wish he would just stay on the outside as a kingmaker. My number one, my number one reason for moving off Trump is that as good as he was on so many things, his personnel acumen was abysmal. And as far as I'm concerned, whether it be business or politics, uh, personnel is policy. And his personnel decisions, hiring Christopher Wray, abdicating his presidency after really only half a term to Fauci, that's why he's a one-term, was a one-term president or is a one-term president. Christopher so, Ray, sure. Like, Christopher Ray, sure, but I mean, yeah. Omarosa, Scaramucci, Michael Cohen. Right. I'm, I'm pulling two of the big names out, but exactly. You and I could do an entire one hour on those names and what the problems were. 100% exactly right. I have never seen uh, a, a White House before where so many people um, begged their way in and then cashed in on, after they left yeah. or on their way out by turning on the person who gave them that big break, that role that quite honestly, in many cases, those people but through no objective measure could be considered to have earned through professional right. ability or anything else. I, it was, it was amazing uh, as a, as the circumstance played out so many times through the, uh, through the Trump administration, you notice he doesn't, I haven't heard him say I hire the best people anymore. That that's not something well, I've heard. Yeah, right? uh, it's not something yeah. I've heard in a long time. Cause I think that that's, that's become um, a bit of a weakness and, uh, even among his base right now, we're talking within the family, which I think is, you know, forget about the left and everything else. I just mean, even people who are on the sure. right, who are, I mean, I was a two time Trump voter. Uh, I bore the hatred of CNN when I was still a contributor there for being a Trump supporter there. I yeah. basically got benched after a while because I was just like, yeah, of course, Trump, what's wrong with you lunatics? But anyway, um, how is the campaign being run? Like who's actually so you actually understand it and know yeah. the people who are moving the machinery. Who is the who is the Trump campaign other than Trump himself, as far as we know right now? Well, Susie Wiles, who was his campaign manager last time around, she's his current chief of staff. She's still very much in a position of major influence, if not the most influential outside of family members. Uh, I believe Boris Epstein is on the campaign uh, as well. Those are the big names that are really calling the shots. I, I think uh, we saw a news item that uh, Jason Miller, uh, who was one of his comms people in 16, he's back over there. So there's a lot of replication uh, from the 16 campaign and the 20 campaign. But I think one of his biggest problems is his messaging. He's, he's still using the 2016 playbook. And what worked in 2016 is not going to work in 2024. It's not going to work in a post-lockdown, post-COVID society because Trump is out there still saying the vaccines were a great idea. Uh, we, I saved 100 million lives. Now, no, no, wherever you stand on the vaccines, I've been very vocally anti that vaccine. Uh, his base is, is viciously anti that vaccine and he seems to uh, be a bit tone deaf to them. And, and so I think from a campaign standpoint, it seems to be in a bit of disarray. You know, one of the other reasons is, is really no fault to Trump's, but, and you know this, we talked to a lot of the same people offline. The DOJ made life such hell 
for everyone around Trump that it's very difficult for him to hire top tier people. It's even difficult for him at this point to hire top tier attorneys because the big white shoe law firms won't bring them in. They won't offer them those very lucrative partnerships if they have Trump on their resume. The same for the consulting firms and the lobbying firms. So he's having a real hard time, I think, getting that top talent for the infrastructure you need to run the successful campaign he ran in 16. Uh, But most importantly, if I have to point to one person that I think was his most recent horrible personnel decision and who'll lead to uh, not just problems for him, but for the Republican Party, it's Ronna Romney McDaniel, the uh, the RNC chairwoman, This is a woman that Trump found in 16. He wholeheartedly endorsed her in 20. And unfortunately, this time around, when it was between her and his own lawyer, Harmeet Dillon, who's far more conservative, far more hardcore, Trump had Susie Wiles and others out there, and it became very public, whipping votes to keep Ronna McDaniel in power. The same woman that did nothing, did nothing to enhance voter integrity. Give me the why. Why 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 did Trump support Ronna McDaniel? Because what I'm told from people close to him, is she gave him whatever he wanted. She didn't use the money she raised to go fight for election integrity or or to beat back the attacks or to hire lawyers to help him with DOJ, but she kissed his ass, quite frankly. Uh, That's a crude way to say it, but it's true. She tells him he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. He loves that. And those little things he needs, the endorsement of this candidate or money to this candidate, she would do for him when he asked. So he wasn't asking for the big stuff. He didn't know to tell her, put lawyers on the field six months before Election Day to get in front of of voter integrity issues. Or let's ballot harvest where legal, Ron. Why aren't you spending the money for armies of volunteers to ballot harvest? So the stuff he was asking for, she was able to give him, right? She did it for him. And then she would go give him all the accolades he loves. And he wanted her back. He, He was comfortable with her, I guess. Now, again... That's from people very close to him who were incredibly frustrated with his support for her behind the scenes. I want to ask you about uh, Ron DeSantis and also about Kevin McCarthy, John, in just a second. But uh, a word from our sponsor first. If you're a T-Mobile subscriber, they're investigating a data breach that exposed the sensitive personal information of 37 million customers. Right after New Year, cyber hackers grabbed data without notice. Could include customer emails, billing addresses, phone numbers. And then cyber criminals can use this information to create on- online identity theft. It happens to people all the time. And what are you going to do about it? Well, you need LifeLock. That's for sure. LifeLock online identity theft help uh, helps protect you against this kind of criminal activity. If they see any unusual activity in your name, there's a LifeLock customer service rep who's going to reach out to you via email or text. And if you actually have uh, identity theft happen, they have a dedicated LifeLock restoration specialists will work to fix it for you. So you just need to have this protection going on in the background. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but it's easy to help protect yourself with LifeLock. I've been relying on them now for, gosh, six years. Uh, join now. Join today. Save up to 25% off your first year with LifeLock when you use promo code BUCK at LifeLock.com. That's lifelock.com, promo code BUCK, or you can call 1-800-LIFELOCK. Uh, right now, 1-800-LIFELOCK or lifelock.com. Use promo code BUCK for 25% off. Since we were just talking uh, Ronna McDaniel, uh, Romney, I-, I wanted to start with, with Kevin McCarthy because there was obviously that simultaneous fight over RNC chair and speaker's chair, right? Mm-hmm. Those were two things that you know got, got the conservative uh, base's attention for, for a few weeks. Kevin McCarthy looks like he's come out swinging and listen to the folks. To me, yeah. is that is that your sense of it? Is is that where he's going? 
Yeah, it really is. You know, few people were um, more brutal to Kevin than I was. And uh, I, I had some people <clears throat> close to him reach out to me and say, hey, you're, you're kind of off base on this. And I said, well, I'm not. I look at actions, not words. And they said, he's getting it. He's listening. He's getting it. And he's listening to the right advisors. He actually understood the personnel is policy problems. He put the right people around him. He started listening to people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and some other behind the scenes folks who are uh, <clears throat> very conservative people, more aligned with you and I ideologically and, and some of our friends. And I've been really impressed by what I've been seeing from Kevin McCarthy. It has exceeded every expectations. And I've been very publicly complimentary of him and supportive of him for doing that. And, you know, Buck, I'm a pragmatist, right? And I think you are. And I think a lot of people we know, uh, you know, full disclosure, we're good personal friends as well. We have a lot of mutual friends. And we're all people who work in media or politics to a very large degree, but we're also pragmatists. If, if I can get a politician that's going to give me 80% of what, 70% of what I want, but 80% is pretty good, I'm going to be okay because I know there's, there's no 100%, right? Even NASA doesn't have zero tolerance, zero failure. And so I'm looking at Kevin McCarthy right now, and out of the gate, this guy's been giving me 85, 90% of what I want. I'll take that all day long. And if he continues down that road, he's going to continue to have my support. And I think a big, big uh, amount of credit goes to guys like Chip Roy in the Freedom Caucus who held his feet to the fire to make certain deals. They did a great job. McCarthy's honoring those deals. By the way, Chip Roy, I want to single him out because I was told by people close to that process, he is the only member who asked for nothing for himself. And when he was asked, do you want the big office? Do you want the leadership? He said, I'm doing this for America. I'll paraphrase, but I'm doing it for America. This isn't about me. I want nothing for myself. And I think people need to know that. That deserves nothing, nothing but praise. And uh, But like I said, I'll continue to support McCarthy if he continues to go down this road. Yeah, I've, I've been seeing McCarthy do things that looks like a the, the wake-up call, if you will, uh, has woken him up. It feels like yeah. he's actually so, he's actually gotten the message at, at some level of, of what his his role should be, given where the GOP is right now and the fights, uh, the fights ahead. So you and I are Florida residents. Um, Ron DeSantis is our governor. Ron DeSantis just won a massive landslide victory for reelection for governor. And everyone is now, I think, fully assuming that he will announce for president. How do you assess uh, his strengths and weaknesses? Look, as a governor, I'll just say it. I think I can speak for both of us. He's an A plus governor. I mean, I think he's oh. the best governor, the best governor in the country. I, I, you know, I don't think anybody who has been through the DeSantis transformation of Florida and you know is sane really disagrees with that. Um, but president, uh, you know, the presidency is different. Obviously, running for national office is different. So, how do you assess? strengths and weaknesses of Ron DeSantis, great governor, but assuming he's a presidential candidate, how does it line up? Well, I think one of the things that, um, I'll go to one negative uh, first. Uh, I think DeSantis definitely is going to need to hone his debate skills a bit, and he's aware of that. I think he was uh, he was good against Charlie Crisp, but I think in a presidential debate with, uh, it's going to be a very big field. I think we're going to probably see a repeat of 2016, you know, maybe 15, 16, 17 primary candidates. Many of these people are professional campaigners. They don't really win. They campaign and they debate and they're very good at it. DeSantis is a doer. You know, he's a doer. This is a guy, I, I said this the other day on Twitter, I've been saying it. The contrast with him and Trump is, is Trump gets up to the podium and tells you what I'm going to do, what, what, what he's going to do. I'll do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. DeSantis gets up to the podium, holds up something he signed and said, I just did this this morning or yesterday. 
And so he's a doer. So I think the one uh, the one place he could tighten up is, is, is the debate skills, which is very doable. And, and that's something you can practice. But in terms of performance, I mean, wow. And people sit there and, and accuse me night and day on Twitter of being paid. And I want to say it here by the Sanders. I have never and would never take a penny from Ron DeSantis, any of his official state entities, campaign entities, or affiliated entities, PACs, et cetera. I, I don't make a dime, a penny from them. My support for him is organic because of what you said. I live in Florida. My family's still in New York. I just see how fortunate we are. I mean, Buck, look at the two of us. We're tan, we're relaxed. I'm in my mid 80s, you're in your late 70s, and we look like kids because we're Florida residents. We look amazing. That's a good point. But all jokes aside, it's a great place to live, but it's a great place to do business. We have things here like Enterprise Florida, which is a uh, really a Florida's Department of Commerce, which offers big incentives for, for manufacturing blue collar jobs to come down to Florida. Things you don't even hear about because the programs are so successful. The migration here is, is becoming so rapid and such critical mass that the state of Florida doesn't even need to market these things. And that's a testament to the success of the guy in the governor's mansion in Tallahassee. I mean, every day, it just seems like there's a new win, right? We're finding out we're gonna get constitutional carry was the new one today. It advanced in the Senate. It's like every day, the agenda's winning a little bit more. You know, there was that MSNBC host who said the problem that Ron DeSantis is gonna run, run up against is that people think that Florida is just meth and alligators. I don't mm. think the 800,000 was the number that I saw most recently. People who have moved to the state of Florida since uh, the pandemic think that it's just alligators and meth. Al- although there was that terrible story about a, a, a elderly woman who was grabbed by a gator, which is yeah, rare. Yeah. You know, she was defending, uh, to trying to defend her dog, and the dog, you know, the dog survived. She got taken uh, underwater. Right. Just a reminder, you know, I had a, I had a an uncle who was Savannah PD, Savannah Police Department. And they get gators mm-hmm. there too. One thing he used to tell me, John, is those that they you see them usually when you do see them they're they look almost like they're uh you know kind of laid back they're not really they appear docile yeah he says Mm -hmm. they can come out of the water like a bullet basically Mm -hmm. and and they and they know when you're not looking and that's where they come for you and then beyond that they're actually faster since we're two florida guys sitting here talking about this they're actually faster than people would think on land over a short distance. Like you don't want one of them to come after you even over 20, 15 or 20 feet. You know, they've been tracked like up uh, over 30 miles an hour on those short distances. Look, I'm out in the, I, I kayak out there. I, I do some backcountry fishing and uh, I take my horses out through those trails back there. It's exactly what, what you're told. Th- these things are docile. They look like rocks that aren't going to move until you watch them go for a kill. There might be a raccoon on the bank or a bird or a fish. They are lightning fast. You can't even see them move. And, and uh, side note, a buddy of mine is a deputy. That was up in, in St. Lucie County where that poor woman was killed. Yeah. He was standing in the exact same spot on that bank the night before in the dark. He called me. He said, I was standing right there. They got a call for an, uh, a criminal trespass potential. They didn't find anybody. They were walking around that lake with their flashlights in the exact spot that gator jumped out and grabbed that woman. And that was a big gator that was 10, 11 feet. I and mean, they can do tremendous, they'll bring down a large animal. So, uh, you know, an 85 year old woman, she really didn't stand a chance. It was really tragic. Yeah. But, but to yeah. your point, that's right. Uh, real quick, I don't want to interrupt you, but to your point, I, I can't disclose this because I was I told this in confidence by some people who deal with the entities in the state that move businesses to Florida. If people think Florida is meth and alligators, 
they are going to be shocked in a very pleasant way with some of the mega brands, the iconic companies trying to negotiate moves to Florida for massive tranches of employees. This is now a, this state is a global powerhouse with international cities. Miami, Fort Lauderdale's booming. The Palm Beach area has become a political hub. Uh, they are sorely mistaken. The state, the state is a country unto itself, a $1.1 trillion GDP, a $24 billion budget surplus, 22 and a half million residents and growing. It's the size of four or five Balkans nations, and its GDP is about 20 times that, many of the Balkans nations. And, and so you're looking at a, a nation unto itself here, not a state. They're going to be, that's a pretty naive assessment, uh, methodologators. You know, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, look, you know, we do, there are people here in flip-flops. You do see some sure. neon tank tops, you know? I mean, there's some of the floor stuff, depending where you go. Uh, is there I'm one of flip-flops. Yeah. This, this is part of the charm. You know, I'm going to start wearing the sunglasses that have the little thing that connects behind your head. Flamingos. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a good way to go. Uh, we're going to come back to actually the red state, blue state separation, because I want to talk to John about about uh, the, the crime factor here. He's a former NYPD yeah. guy and, and has always astute observations on that. We'll get to that in a second. I want you all sleeping soundly, not just because you're safe from crime, but because you've got the best pillow you can possibly have. That's why Mike Lindell's My Pillow, such an amazing company. You got to try these pillows. I just got two of the newest versions of the My Pillows at home, and they're amazing. I'm sleeping with them every night. But, you know, the Giza Dream sheets, for me, that was the, the gateway product in a lot of ways. That was where I said, oh, gosh, I need three pairs of these. These are the only sheets I'm sleeping on. The Giza Dream sheets are now at the lowest price you're ever going to find them, $29.99. Use promo code BUCK. The Giza Dream sheets are super soft and breathable, but also very durable. Get them in a bunch of different colors, whatever size you need. MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty. And now for the holiday season, they're extending their 60-day money-back guarantee. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Listener Special Square, check out the flash sale on the Giza Dream sheets, along with other limited-time offers. Enter promo code BUCK. Again, when you go to MyPillow.com, promo code BUCK, $39.99, Giza Dream sheets. John, if I got you, I got to get you a pair of the Giza sheets, man. If you don't have them at home, they are actually I, quite listen, good. I don't have them, but listening to you, I was falling asleep. Just listening. They sound amazing. I'm telling you. We'll get you, we'll get you some of the moccasins too, man. His my slippers awesome. are, are phenomenal. You know, my, my friend's father-in-law has them. He's addicted to them. He got them for Christmas and he won't take them off. Yeah. I just, I just ordered three more pairs for family members of mine who want, you know, addition. They like wanted like a, a slightly different color or they want another size or, you know, whatever. So I'm, <laughs> You know, it's true, man. My, my pillow stuff is what once you get once you enter the my pillow world, you're you're rocking that gear all the time. You're sleeping on it. You're walking around in it. Um, all right. So the crime issue, because Florida also yeah. this this plays in because one thing you you, you, could, you would have noticed for a while now is anytime you look at the, the crime data on cities and it has been just awful um, and it, it varies. There's variations on this right in San Francisco. People say, oh, it's not that bad. The violent crime's not that bad, but the property crime is third world, uh, third world uh, hellhole level, right? Other places, you go to New Orleans, you go to St. Louis, um, uh, Baltimore. You know, the violent crime rate is w- way higher than it was even a few years ago. Florida cities haven't had this happen. Well, I mean, yeah, what, they really haven't. Yeah. You know, DeSantis is saying Florida as a state is at its lowest statewide crime rate in fifty years. And this is something that I think, I think yeah, if you're looking for ways to get at independence in some of these purple states, I think, John, they recognize that safety is the thing that you either are on board with or you're not. 
you know, public safety. You either get it or you don't. That's right. You know, Florida culturally, even Florida Democrats have been pro-police. You don't see one, one other thing you don't see in Florida. We're, we're the third most populous state in America. You don't see BLM riots. You know, Black Lives Matter doesn't riot in Florida. Antifa doesn't riot in Florida. Because even your Democrats, if I live in Fort Lauderdale, in the city of Fort Lauderdale, half a mile in the downtown drag, we have one of the most liberal mayors in America, a guy named Dean Trentalis. But you know what he's not liberal on? Crime in his police department. We have a Democrat sheriff. But you know what the Broward Sheriff's Office isn't far left on? Enforcement of crime. And you see this across the board. You see it in the city of Miami. You see it in Miami-Dade County. You see it in Palm Beach. Even Orange County, the Orlando area, which is which is really far left. Val Demings, an impeachment manager, her husband is a mayor up there. They still let their cops and their sheriffs do their jobs. And when they're right, they back them. And I'm an advocate of that. When your cops are right, back them. If you have corrupt or brutal police officers, arrest them, put them in handcuffs. Any cop will tell you that. But in Florida, the sheriffs back up their deputies and the police chiefs back up their cops. They let them do their jobs and we just don't have these problems. And the important thing to note, Buck, is many of Florida's police departments, one of the reasons that DeSantis was on this police recruitment tour, were understaffed. Right, city of Miami PD has always been uh, at, at below uh, minimum staffing levels, but they managed to make it work. Why? Because they have mayors and county officials and city officials that'll back them up when they do their jobs properly. And they understand that when you're short staffed, sometimes you do have to use uh, um, a level of force that is legal and justifiable. And it might not look nice, but bad guys don't want to be arrested peacefully. They fight back. They're, there's no knee jerk reaction to policing down here. That trickles down because the bad guys know that. And they know they're not going to be able to hire a Ben Crump over nonsense who's going to come in and threaten to sue the city for $100 million because the police did their job properly. Those cries of racism, that doesn't fly in Florida. Even in cities that are predominantly black with black police chiefs and, and predominantly black departments, there's still this dividing line where law and order stands. And, and I think that when you combine that with the fact that it's very easy to get a, a weapon, a, a license to carry a concealed weapon here, we have stand your ground laws here. We have castle doctrine laws here that favor the individual to a, uh, uh, an outstanding degree. We're going to about to have constitutional carry, permitless carry. The bad guys know there are better places to victimize people than Florida. What is your everyday carry, John? For the folks at home, they, they want to know, they, what is the international arms dealer extraordinaire? Yes, yes. What's his everyday I've carry? Got a, I've got a few. I uh, typically carry these days a SIG uh, 365X macro, which is a little larger. But on warm days, this one, my SIG there, can you see that? Is that in the camera? Yeah. My SIG 365X. And then another one that I just absolutely love, the Glock 43X. Great, great outstanding weapon. And then I, by my bedside, I have a special uh, little treat, Buck. It's a uh, silenced Daniel Defense 300 blackout. Wow. Look at that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, inch barrel, you, very you will quiet. be happy to know as a, as a uh, Florida resident, John, I am picking up. That's a, by the way, that's a beautiful Daniel Defense. I'm picking up my DD4 from Daniel Defense tomorrow, along with the staccato that they just convinced me to buy when I was in there the last time. So. I was like, yeah, I'm going to get a staccato. Uh, you know, it's a little I'm pricey. Waiting on my, I'm, I'm waiting on my staccato there. I, I don't understand what staccato puts into that recoil spring, but it's magic and wizardry because the damn thing has no recoil. It's like shooting a 22. It is the most well-engineered handgun I've ever fired in my life. 
it's it's amazing. Also, you wouldn't expect, you know, because Beretta is the oldest privately held company still in uh, still in operation in the world. I think it goes back to 1619. Does that sound? Or, Something like that, yeah. yeah. Or six, no, not 1619. I think 1614. It is around, you know, the 1619 is, you know, 1619. You slipped the 1619 project in there on purpose, didn't you? I, I got to I gotta find yeah. out when the founding of Beretta was. I don't know why that. I think it was maybe 16... 1614 anyway seven, it's 17th century yeah. um somewhere somewhere along there the founding founding of, of Beretta um but uh staccato is based in Texas you yeah. know you hear Beretta you think oh it's an Italian uh, you know gunmaker it makes very yeah. very fancy uh shotguns staccato is a Texas based uh, handgun maker and I guess there were tournament guns that now people have just realized my brother got one I've been shooting it and, and I just go oh wow it's it's amazing yeah, they used to be they used to be branded as STI, and then they did a reengineering. They they made uh, they took the line from forty five ACP down to nine millimeter. They reengineered them into these spectacular weapons they are today. Rebranded as Staccato. I'm just a big fan. I'm waiting on I'm on a waiting list for the new CS. They're they're compact. It is just an outstanding, outstanding. By the way, Beretta, I was I was actually a bit off. Fifteen twenty six was when Beretta wow. was founded. Fifteen twenty six. Yeah, I shoot a lot of clays, Beretta. I have a Beretta DT-11. It is, to me, the best competition yeah. shotgun on the planet. I even got the, the century. I even got the century wrong. Yeah, that's going way, way back. Um, so, uh, John, I mean, to, to look at what's going on in New York, you just had Mayor Adams getting a little... A uh, little flustered, I think, with the recent visit of Ron DeSantis, where he's doing this. He, I love that he went to Staten Island, by the way. Uh, yeah, I love that yeah. he goes to Staten Island. Um, and, the only uh, red bird. Yeah. Um, he goes to Staten Island because he knows that, you know, there's going to be a lot of love in Staten Island. And, you know, Adams is, is not really like I felt like at one point Adams was trying to maybe think about taking over if Biden stepped aside. I, I feel like that maybe has faded because I believe Biden is, is running again. I don't think there's any the Democrats have any choice there. Is New York getting better, though, on a crime on the crime side? I don't know how many guys you still know who are on the job there, but uh, is, Adams lot, doing the, is he doing many, the work? Yeah, many. Nah, Adam, Adams is a mess. And, and, you know, the sad part of this thing is that the police commissioner, she actually everybody thought she was hired as, as a diversity hire, a woke hire, uh, you know, black woman. They brought her in. Everybody expected that was the reason. But she came out of the Nassau County Police Department. She was their chief of detectives. And everybody I've spoken to in the Nassau County PD, very conservative men and women, said she was a great cop. They trust her, they like her, and that she's incredibly frustrated with Adams' constant, Adams, uh, constant caving to the radically far-left New York City Council. Left to her own devices, she would be a very proactive police commissioner. And two of the people who told me this were senior command staff in the Nassau County PD who have our politics. These are conservative, pragmatic guys. So uh, Adams, I think, got a taste of far left money and he's abandoned all reason. I, I, he's, he's become, he's a real disgrace. I mean, I think he's as bad as de Blasio is. And it's sad that he's got a police commissioner who wants to be proactive and effective. And let's face it, in the world we live in, the fact that she's a black woman doesn't hurt her political cover when the police have to be proactive. The fact that he won't let her do her job is disgraceful. But there's something important to point out, Buck. One of the most effective tools we had in our toolbox with the NYPD was stop and frisk. Stop and frisk was deemed illegal, put that in quotes, years back by a federal judge who knew she was going to be overturned by the Supreme Court. Her name was Shira Scheinlin. She resigned her federal judgeship 
The de Blasio administration never appealed her decision. And had they, stop and frisk would be the law of the land in New York again, because it was already established constitutional in Terry v. Ohio in 1964 in the U.S. Supreme Court. So this judge handed down a decision that flew in the face of Supreme Court precedent, <clears throat> would have been overturned summarily in a day, but no one, not de Blasio and now Adams, is challenging that decision, appealing that decision, and putting stop and frisk back in the NYPD's toolbox. And with broken windows, Rudy Giuliani's strategy of broken windows, and stop and frisk was very simple. The bad guys were in check, murders dropped, armed robberies dropped. The NYPD is cheating itself by not having that tool. Why does it work? Because people now say you know, the, the line is stop and frisk doesn't work. People say this as though that's a that's a decided fact. I mean, they also say walls don't work. I mean, there's a lot of things that say right? vaccines do the, the covid vaccines, I should say, do work. There's a lot of things people say that don't really work, aren't really true. Um, why does stop and frisk work? Well, I'll tell you, okay, so let me add one thing. The other thing that was done to the NYPD that was simply moronic is they got rid of the plain clothes units, precinct level anti-crime units and street crime units. So why do all those things work? To become a, an officer or, and subsequently a detective in a street crime unit that no longer exists or anti-crime units, you want to be a really proactive street cop with a, with a really clean and impressive um, activity report, right? So you couldn't have excessive complaints. You, they wanted you to have a lot of gun collars, gun arrests, armed robbery arrests. So what do you have now? Now you've got squads of men and women with tremendous collective experience with a tool in their toolbox that allows them to go through high crime areas. Say an area has a condition of armed robberies or attempted murders or gang shootings. They know what to look for. They know to look for the bulge in the waistband, the drooping pocket, the way a gun might fall, the way a, a shotgun might be concealed, a, a sawed off down the leg of, of someone's pants if they're going to do a gang shooting or a drive-by. Stop and frisk enable them to get out of their vehicle, engage the person in conversation, and if, if they saw something, a shape, consistent with that of a firearm or other weapon, they could conduct a pat-down, not a search, couldn't go in, in the clothing and the pockets, a pat down. If that pat down revealed something consistent with a weapon, say it was three cylinders, you can then go in the pocket. Now, if they turn out not to be ammunition, but crack vials, that would be admissible. Typically, though, a gun feels like a gun. And then you can obviously go into the clothing, remove the weapon, secure the scene. If it's a legal licensed weapon, everybody goes on their way. If it's not, people go to jail. It wasn't this indiscriminate Let's go out there, stop everybody, toss them, throw them on the ground. No, you had to notify a supervisor. You had to fill out the form. I believe it was the UF 249 form uh, going back a few years for me. You had to fill that out in triplicate. One uh, went to your supervisor, one went to the command. The other went to the precinct's integrity control officer, which was typically a lieutenant who was essentially the internal affairs resident in that command. There was tremendous oversight. There were three levels of checks and balance to make sure this wasn't abused. And it was a tool that enabled the police to be proactive. So when you get rid of those plainclothes units and you get rid of a tool like stop and frisk, you're only left being reactive, meaning you show up after the person is shot or dead because you weren't able to go out there to the areas you knew there were problems, focusing on the people you knew were problems and get in front of the murder, the attempted murder, the armed robbery, the, the armed rape before it happened. And that's why. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. 
This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my from this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Works. Have you seen some of these? Uh, this is on a, on much less important, serious issue. But have you seen these videos where a- activists try to get cops to request their name and ID? I mean, this is all over the internet now, all all the time. And you know, you were actually a guy on the job. I mean, I John knows this because we're we're good buddies. But I mean, I was sent by the CIA to do some analysis assistance to the intelligence division of the NYPD, but I never I never had a badge and a gun at the NYPD, so I didn't actually do arrests and things like that. You did. Uh, so w- what is the actual... Now, I understand it can vary by jurisdiction, but I mean, if you're in New York, what do you have to tell a cop when he comes up to you? And because some of these guys, I remember there's one guy who's like, I'm not telling you anything. And the cop's like, no, I... I this is the this is the infraction. I mean, I, I have reason to believe you've committed the fault that, you know, you are trespassing on private property. And the guy's like, well, no, no, I'm not. And I'm not telling you my name. And he's like, well, now you're getting arrested. <laughs> right. So yeah. how, how does it work? So, yeah. So it's a good question. Right. So there's there's three levels. Right. You have rear, a mere suspicion, reasonable suspicion and probable cause. OK. Mere suspicion is I'm, I'm on patrol in a warehouse district. You're walking down the street at three o'clock in the morning in an area where people typically are not. I really have no reason to engage you in any way, shape or form. Sure, I'm going to be a little suspicious. Why are you there? But typically, I'm just going to roll around the block a couple of times. And if I see, you know, a, a taxi cab come pick you up. okay, you know, you probably got lost. Whatever you call the cab, the cab come to get you. Your Uber came to get you. Reasonable suspicion now would be you walk up to this warehouse. You're kind of pulling on the window bars. You're jiggling the door locks. Now I'm going to go up and engage you in conversation. What are you doing? Oh, hey, I'm John Smith. I work here. I'm an engineer inside. I'm, I'm a machinist. I want to see the door was open. I left something here at work. Here's my business card. Here's my boss's name. Call him up. Oh, here's my license. You know, in a situation like that, okay, the guy probably really does work here. He's giving me the right name of the company. Probable cause is I'm watching you smash the window or somebody called 911 and said, we own this property or we live across the street from this property. We know the owners. We know everybody there. We call the owners and the employees. They don't know this person. He's inside the chain link fence in the lot. Now we have reasonable suspicion leading the probable cause. So when a police officer says, we think you're criminally trespassing, typically there's some stuff behind that. There's a 911 call or this person fits a description of somebody that intelligence report said was, was burglarizing in the area. There are reasons that you would tell somebody they could possibly face arrest for that. It's not just done in a vacuum and indiscriminate. So that's the general 30,000 foot view of how it all works. So, but so if a guy is walking around, let's say in a pub, in a public park and the cops come up to him and they say, Hey, uh, Hey, what's your name? What are you doing here? In that circumstance, he is a, you can say, I'm not speaking to you, right? Like if, if yeah, 100%. Now, 
if this, it, okay, so that's the scenario if they got no call. However, if somebody called 911 and said, this guy, uh, male Hispanic, five foot 10, dark hair and eyes, green bubble jacket, like a down jacket, blue jeans, white sneakers, was trying to entice children into his vehicle. Now you can hold him. Now you can try to find the people who called 911 with callback numbers, ask them if they'll show up there and see if he's the person that they were talking about, if they can identify him. Then you can detain. So, and, so see, and, I think this is where and, I, I think this is where some of these videos it gets interesting because the you know the activist or what and the, the, they're trying to bait police officers into this. By sure. the way, this is this whole there's this whole culture of this, um, and, and it gets a lot of video views and people are like oh look at the cops the whole thing. Um, it's by the way sometimes for the cops I feel like it's almost a, an advertisement because some of these cops are super polite, efficient, know the law backwards and forwards, unshakable. You know, you know, yes, no, but it gets a little bit that that's in a situation where the guy just walks up and he actually doesn't have probable cause you laid mm-hmm. out. But sometimes they'll say, no, no, someone called me and they think you're trying to break in. You know, they, they, there's a break in call and and or, or you know, there's there's a, a trespass call and I need to know who you are. And they're just like, no. And then the cops get into this. Well, I'm going to like wrestle you to the ground and maybe tase you if you don't stop this. I'm not going to. uh allow you to detain me thing right i mean that's you do get yeah. the sense sometimes that there's this this notion people have where law enforcement says i am going to detain you and then people just say no you're not that, that, you know, that's not a good move most, most people are normal here i'll give you a case in point personal experience got got two 911 calls one night for a uh young male black and a young female black uh he was wearing a black jacket 20 years ago, but I remember it. She was wearing a red, red, uh, they called them bubble jackets, you know, down North Face type jackets. Oh, I remember. Yeah, those are very black, popular. Black bubble jacket, uh, carrying a firearm on his right hip, and the gun was described as a revolver with a stainless steel finish. Pretty specific, right? They described where they were walking, so we were a couple of blocks away. We turned the corner, no lights, no sirens, we were in plain clothes, and yeah, we saw them. So I get out of the car, we ID ourselves, and hey, can we see your hands? And the guy says... You got a 911 call for a gun. We said, yeah. He said, hey, I'm an armored car driver. I'm on my way to work. I've got my license. I'm allowed to have the gun to and from. I said, you are. He said, can I reach for my license? Sure, no problem. Pulled it out. He was licensed. It was all legit. He was an armored car driver going to work with his girlfriend. End of story. The exchange lasted 10 seconds. We shook hands. Have a great night. Be safe. That's how 99.9% of these go, even when it's a mistake. These people that, that want to put this on video do everything they truly can to instigate the situation far beyond wherever it needed to go. And in my opinion. Oh, I know I've seen some of them where, where it's, it's clear that they are trying to bait the officer. Occasionally you see, look, you also get some of these officers who are uh, a little bit like the airline attendants with the mask rules, you know, they're a little drunk on power. You do what I say and everything else. And those are the videos that go super viral because that actually isn't what the law is, right? It's not just, you know, you have to, Stay here because I say so. Because I'm an officer, and you know, look at my buff arms. I look tough. Yeah, it's a, that doesn't. That's not a good look. Uh, I mean, the guy doesn't have Cardillo no. arms, obviously. Although he might have Cardillo, <laughs> he might have Cardillo tats. Because uh, John, you got to, you got to. Are are these like relatively new? As I'm as I'm talking to you, for those who uh, are listening and can't see, he he's got like the Lord of the Rings trilogy written on his right arm <laughs> on the inside there. Like it's 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 a it's a not a novella for sure. When did no, these all come together? Is. This is, um, okay, let me see how I get it in the camera here. It's, everything's reversed. This is Thomas, uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Man in the Arena. Truncated, of course, because it's a lot longer. Uh, I don't know, over the years, I've just been putting them together. 
And Do you have a number? Like how, how many tat? By the way, tattoo. I just came back from Bora Bora. And I like to tell people, fun, fun fact, tattoo comes from Tahiti. That is the origin <laughs> of the, uh, and it's tribal. You think of uh, Polynesian and tribal tattoos. This is where we, we get the, uh, the word comes from. By the way, when you're over there, you'll see men and women. I mean, women will have, well, you see this everywhere now, but women will have these really ornate uh, tribal tattoos across like their shoulder usually. Uh, some of the men do. And obviously when you get into the um, some of the uh, indigenous population of uh, Australia and New Zealand, New Zealand specifically the Maori, they they have the the face, yeah. face uh, really intricate face tattoo. Yeah, those face um, tattoos. But so, so do you have a number for how many you have total here? I don't have, I don't know, one, two, three, about six or seven, I guess, at this point. I'm just laughing because tomorrow on Twitter, Buck Sexton, 1619 advocate, denounces colonization of Polynesia. You know how these people are going to spend this conversation because they're all lunatics. Oh, yeah. I mean, one thing I thought was so interesting about uh, about Bora Bora um, was uh, that there's a really positive relationship between and this is from everyone I talk. Look, I was on vacation. I'm not. I'm not. You know, wasn't doing PhD research or something there. But just from talking to everybody, the uh, look. You, you go to some, you go to some countries, and in some countries in the Caribbean, for example, and yeah. there's still a lot of animosity toward the former colonial uh, country, colonial power, whatever it may be. Uh, in the case of of a place like uh, French Polynesia. The relationship between the French and the Polynesians is very strong. They all get. EU passports and they can travel freely back and forth. And it's got the average. I did a little research because I was curious about the average um, per capita income or per GDP per capita, I should say, uh, in this little island chain of a couple hundred islands is like 22,000 US a year, which is actually high. I mean, that's you're, you're basically at uh, I mean, that's what you'd have in a lot of, uh, you know, some of the Eastern European countries, I think would be maybe a little higher than that. But, you know, it's comparatively to some places in uh more remote parts of the world i mean that's a that's a very solid uh, and you just you don't get the sense that there is a a real animosity toward the former colonial authority the french and you get all the nice croissant and uh the tasty food and and the beautiful weather so bora bora big fan of it gotta tell you yeah, the you know the beer. There's always been the old debate: the whiskey colonies and the wine colonies. You know, how do they uh, how do they fare? Right, but that's interesting because then you look at Haiti. Right, it's the exact opposite. You go down to Polynesia, and, and you got to wonder what you know. What's the cause of that? Was there were the trade routes coming through uh, Polynesia more, and then just they were building that wealth for a longer period of time? Natural disasters. I don't know, but that is an interesting metric. Br- former British colonies, um, you can tell always had like I mean, you go to. Uh... A whole range, a whole range of, of places, but the former British colonies, they always leave behind uh, their language, their roads and their law. And yeah. you know, that, that's just you just have that in every place. The British, whether it's Canada or it's, um, you know, name name a place where the British, you know, India. I mean, you know, they're, they've, they've left India has like 200 languages, but, you know, there's obviously a lot of English speaking uh, spoken there. Um uh, the French leave behind their food. <laughs> that's really what's so. That's you know you go to a former French colony. You're like, I mean, I can get steak frites. So that is kind of exciting. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's it. What What is the card? What is the Cardillo travel destination that is uh, that is either top recommendation or next on the list? Since we're we're having some fun and talking about Ooh, some random things. You know that that is an interesting one. I, I I'll tell you right now, um, Sicily is on my list. Uh, you, uh, 
we have a good mutual friend of family uh, uh, with, with a home there. Very good friends of mine. And I was um, friends of yours as well. You know, the daughter. And uh, I was with them for lunch today and they were showing me uh, pics of a place they're thinking about buying there. And interestingly enough, if anybody watched The White Lotus, they, they got married in that hotel in season two. And the place they want to buy is close by. And it just looks absolutely spectacular. So after seeing that today and they had showed me on Sunday as well, that's bumped to the top of my list. I hear I hear fantastic things about it. I actually think I'm going to take uh, the new Mrs. Sex in um, to we're, we're thinking about going to Columbia because I got a friend down in Columbia. Oh, it's awesome. I, I, I've been down and, you know, living in South Florida. I have a lot of friends who go back and forth. It has become a tourist destination. The cities are incredibly safe and everyone who goes has an absolutely phenomenal time. Interestingly enough, a couple of buddies who are DEA agents who were stationed down there when it was a war zone now go back on vacation and love it. <laughs> they love it. So that's that's on my short list as well. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, John, always great to hang out, man. Thanks for being here with us. And uh, we will uh, we'll have you back on to talk about a whole range of issues, including what I think is going to be a very interesting Republican primary. But follow oh, yeah. John Cardillo on Twitter, everybody, and uh, keep an eye out for him on all the various platforms out there, including this one. John, thanks yeah. for hanging out. Anytime, brother. Let's go shooting soon, Buck. Thanks. Absolutely. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.